0: From our WFUV studios in the Bronx, New York, it's the Pick and
1: Pod. Drop us a voicemail at 347-903-WFUV. Now, here are your hosts, Kenny Ducey and Matt Rosenfeld. That's a lie. It's just Kenny Ducey here on May 18th, 2014. Although you are probably listening to this on May 19th, 2014. So, if you are, happy Monday. We have Chris Herring from the Wall Street Journal coming up in just a moment. We'll talk about the Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals, the Knicks, because they just, they always steal the headlines, and, you know, that's just, well, maybe it's just because I'm in New York and... You might not be, but they do. They steal the headlines. That's what they like to do. We'll talk about uh, Steve Kerr not going to the Knicks and instead going to the Warriors, what the reason for that is, who might fill that void, and just all sorts of things relating to the playoffs. So you know what? Let's talk to Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal now at Herring WSJ about these conference finals and you know looking back because he was also uh, watching the Thunder a good amount during the playoffs. So Chris, um, you know, you you saw Oklahoma City. Did you eat in Oklahoma City? And how? How? Because I'm very curious. Because I know Texas. I've been there. It's very good. But I don't know how the food in Oklahoma City is. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, it's it's pretty normal. It's uh, it's not. I think Texas cuisine is probably a little more specialized than than what you find in Oklahoma City. Just your standard restaurants. Um, it's a nice layout, though. I mean, I was actually talking to a lot of people there about how they built up the city um, and how it used to just kind of be this place that you just kind of. Didn't want to be, and I'm sure some people still get there and, you know, figure like there's nothing to do there. But I I find it pretty fun to just walk around there. Um, They've got all these old brick buildings that uh, you can tell were just run down and just kind of abandoned buildings. And it's, if you travel around enough, you look at it and you realize that places like Detroit should kind of mirror what Oklahoma City are doing because uh, it's doing because they just have so many abandoned buildings that they found ways to use for other things. So there are a lot of restaurants that are just huge in Oklahoma City in terms of space because they found ways to kind of use these buildings for something else. So um, Detroit might be a, a, a ways away from doing that sort of thing because they've got more space in the city. But, um, you know, got good Italian restaurants there. They've got um got nice cigar bars and stuff like that. There's a lot to do there. Um, not necessarily my favorite place to go, but um, it's not nearly as bad as what you would think either.
1: Yeah, we're just trying to save Detroit on this podcast. That's what it's all about. That's why I brought you on, Chris. No, uh, but no, I, I mean that's that's actually a, a pretty good point. And uh, you know, maybe on a, a different theme podcast, we go more into that. Um, you know, you mentioned that it's not your favorite. Um, but did your favorite playoff moment that at least you've seen in person occur there? Or, I mean, just in general, it doesn't even have to be a favorite game because of, like, a crazy ending. I mean, just what's been your favorite game, uh, you know, preferably that you've been to, but, I mean, maybe there's one that's really just jumped out at you across these uh, entire insane playoffs. Uh, well, I was
0: at Game 4 of the, um, of the Clippers and Thunder Series in l a um the clippers were down by sixteen with i think seven minutes to go and um the, the fact that they did that they had been down by twenty two um they' had been down by twenty in the first quarter the clippers, and so that was a pretty cool experience just to kind of see that that band base has been through a lot in the last few weeks and, and the team as well um and the fact that that wasn't even the craziest um game you know, or you could argue that that wasn't even the craziest game because then in game five. Um, you know, the the Thunder come back from seven or eight or whatever it was in the last 40 seconds to win that game. Um, so you could make the argument that that actually was one of the best series that we've had, um, despite the fact that uh, it only went six games. You know, you didn't have all the overtime games like you did in the Oklahoma City-Memphis series. But uh, it was just a really crazy series. And I think in terms of talent level, it might have been, you know, the, the most talented two teams that we've seen play against each other in one round so far. Um, So that was a really fun series to watch. Disappointed in the way that it was officiated in game five. I think that the Clippers kind of got screwed there a little bit. And I think a lot of us would have liked to have seen it go seven games. Um, And, you know, I think the Clippers kind of um, were were taken out of a chance there. But I think that series kind of stands out to me as the one that I enjoyed. uh, Maybe the most, even though you had some that were a little bit um, more interesting just because they had a game seven, and obviously the Portland and Houston series was interesting. But uh, I really enjoyed, it. in terms of the ones I've been to, I really enjoyed the Clippers uh, Thunder series a lot. That
1: oh, well, was fun. I mean, Blake Griffin playing the way he did, and Chris Paul, and just all the the like personalities and skilled players involved in that series. It was very fun to watch. Um, and I guess while we're talking about the West uh, and the Thunder and that series, and you know, it, it took a lot to get out of that Clippers series. How much of that do you give to Scott Brooks? Because he was a guy who a lot of people love to criticize uh, on on Twitter. You know, because that's pretty much just what I do now. uh, Is is you know I'm always on there, and I think you are too. I mean, people were talking about the fact that you know he was making some poor choices. And do you give him credit for coming out of that hole, or was it really just Durant? And we still stand in on you know the same foot on West on uh, Brooks. Um, you know, I I
0: think that there were just times where you could see that they figured it out um, that, you know, that Durant and Westbrook figured it out. Um, I I think Brooks did deserve some credit in times um, for for doing certain things. Um, You know, you look up and he, you know, he made a lineup change at one point um, in the first series to implement Karan Butler there instead of uh, Dabo Seflosha against Memphis. And you'd look up at other times and he would play, his two-point guard lineup to have Westbrook in the game along with Reggie Jackson. So I give him credit for some things, but I I do feel like it takes him a while to kind of notice that, A, this would be a better spot for Steven Adams than it would be for um, for Kendrick Perkins. Or uh, to just look at the fact that Kevin Durant goes four and five minutes without touching the ball in certain situations, which is just really inexcusable in my opinion. But, I mean, when you really look back at those games, like I was saying before, game five, almost felt like an act of God sort of situation or like active reps situation where um, I don't think that was really Scott Brooks as much as it was just something that happened on its own um, that really, really helped City's chances. Granted, they were making a comeback, but, um, you know, Kevin Durant had gone three for 17 or four for 17 or whatever it was and then just hit two or three huge shots in a row to put them in position, you know, Chris Paul fouls, Russell Westbrook on the arm. Uh, There's obviously that that play where Chris Paul kind of anticipates getting fouled and gets ready to shoot a three and, you know, throws the ball away. And there were just all these plays. I don't really think those were Scott Brooks as much as they were um, mistakes from the Clippers or mistakes from the officials.
1: Um, But I
0: do think he deserves a little bit more credit than what he's given. I think people are slow to – acknowledge when he, he gets something right uh, sometimes it takes more longer than you expect to get something figured out or to get it right but um he did okay in that series I don't think it was terrible I think Doc Rivers had some things that worked when you know putting Chris Paul and Kevin Durant he took some gambles that worked for him in that series and uh Scott Brooks is a lot slower to really gamble uh he normally waits until his back is kind of against the wall to make a change
1: and he's not going to have Serge Ibaka now, so he has to make some change, uh, Chris. And the interesting thing I was reading today, uh, one of the San Antonio reporters put a tweet out that, you know, they're basically, um, the Spurs at least, are preparing like Ibaka might come back, which I think is a very smart move uh, because, I mean, it's just, it's it seems like a very Popovich move. Just don't assume this guy's going to be out for the series, even though they say he is. Uh, I mean, just given all that's surrounding this series and Ibaka – absent, you know, as the Thunder tell us for the entire series. I mean, does that give them, does that give the Spurs a a kind of insurmountable advantage at this point?
0: I wouldn't say insurmountable just because I think it's, it's dangerous to, to kind of put those sorts of superlatives on a situation where you're still playing the MVP. Um, it's still, you know, the, the Thunder still have the two best players in this series, and I think any time you have that, um, it would be a little bit like saying Chris Bosh isn't able to play in the Pacers series. Um, and can the Heat beat an Indiana team without having Chris Bosh? Um, you're, you're literally talking about a team's third best player whether it makes it impossible for the team with the two best players to um, win a series. So I think they still could win it. Uh, do I think it makes it more difficult? Absolutely. Um, do I think the Spurs – you know, even if the Baca comes back, do I think the Spurs are in trouble? No. I, I think that the Spurs would have been the favorite anyway, um, which is interesting because, you know, the Thunder won all four games between these two teams in the regular season. Uh, it's only happened one time ever in NBA history, actually, this past week when uh, Miami beat Brooklyn, that a team that got swept in four games during the regular season came back and then beat a team in a seven-game series on uh, the playoffs. So, Um, So it's really rare to see a team that gets swept in four games, you know, lose to that team in the playoffs. Um, But I do think that the Spurs are just a much deeper team. Um, I think that Oklahoma City has gotten by uh, in these first two series without having to be deeper than their opponent. Um, And that first series against Memphis, uh, they kind of got gifted that issue with uh, Zach Randolph and not being able to play game seven. Uh, They're playing against a first-year coach um, and Dave Yeager. And then in the second series that they played just now against the Clippers, we were just talking about game five and how there were some really questionable calls there. Um, and the fact that, let's be honest, Matt Barnes did an okay job in one of those games, but uh, the Clippers didn't really have anyone capable of guarding Kevin Durant. And I don't think that's going to be the case with the Spurs. You obviously have Kawhi Leonard that can take on that responsibility. And you've got a team that you know has the best coach in the game um, that is incredibly deep. And, um, you know, figures might give them some real problems in terms of Serge Ibaka's absence just because of what Tony Parker might be able to do on the other end of the floor. So, um, I like the Spurs here. Even if Ibaka's playing, I would I would probably take the Spurs here maybe six games.
1: Um, I mean, before we move on, because you mentioned all the way back at the beginning of that answer about, okay, well, if Bosh goes out, I mean, David West is not Tim Duncan. As, I mean, that, that's for sure and you know on the offensive side of the ball especially and do you think that Kevin Durant and Tim Duncan wind up matching up with Ibaka out so Durant moving to the four and, and how do you see that playing out if that happens
0: Hmm. Um, I, I think it'd be interesting I mean uh, Kevin Durant would have to defend a little bit more in the post than what he's used to if that happens uh, you get a chance to see uh, I don't think he gets much credit for how strong he is uh, sometimes you know He's still learning the game. I mean, he's 25 years old, so he's not. Um, he's not at the same point, you know, that LeBron is in terms of just kind of noticing and attacking uh, certain situations. Uh, he can beat you from anywhere, but uh, on the defensive end, I think he's gotten a lot better. Um, but he's not normally tested in the post defensively the way LeBron is, or as frequently as LeBron is at the four. Um, and that's normally a situation I think where Brooks. Kind of protect him brooks is kind of wired to kind of put people um bigger players at the four and the five with the baca and perkins or adams so that would be a big test um i i don't know how he would handle that responsibility i haven't really seen him take on a matchup like that all that often but um you know i also don't think the spurt is interesting because well, i think a lot of people would say oh duncan could kill him in that sort of situation the spurs are so unselfish that i don't think it's a fair assumption to to think that um, duncan would just ask for the ball in the post and try to punish durant through that if he has a good look obviously sure he would do that but um it's also a situation where if if Oklahoma City is struggling or um, they're worried that Durant can't handle that responsibility, Duncan is going to hit somebody in the corner for a three um, if he's getting doubled. So I don't think Durant would get killed there, but uh, it would be interesting to see because I'm not exactly sure how he would handle it defensively.
1: Now let's focus on the inferior East, shall we? And the Pacers, who were well, you know, rated as a lot of people or by a lot of people as the inferior team to the Heat, they come out, they win today 107 96 and they are 7-1 and at home over the past two years against the Heat. The Heat are 7-1 at home over the past two years against the Pacers, and does that just, do you look at the way that these two teams have played at home, Chris, and say, man, this series is probably going to go 6, or at least 6?
0: Yeah, I think, it, I think it'll probably go 6. I think that would have been a fair assumption anyway, um, regardless of the home away advantage or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, the, the truth is, I mean, the Pacers are one of the hardest teams to really get a, a handle on and grasp on in terms of what they're doing and why they're playing as well as they play or why they're playing as poorly as they're playing. And um, you know, they always play the Heat pretty well, it seems like. They're they're competitive. Um I, I tweeted something earlier said that they, you know, they're not that great offensively, but they always kind of seem to save the best for last against the, the Heat. They've shot 50% or better in four of the last eight games that they've played, playoff games they've played against Miami. Um, so they, they clearly have enough offense to get it done. It's just a question of whether they can do that four times in a series. Um, can they do that on the road? I think either team is capable of winning the series. I mean, um, the Pacers are just really hard. to. It's really hard to rule them out um, to say that they can't do it. I mean, we, we, we are all kind of stuck on how poorly they've played since February um, in stretches, but they they were really, really solid and really impressive in in their last series against the the Wizards. And, you know, the fact that they play defense, when they really turn it on defensively, you could argue that they're better than anybody that's left in the playoffs. Um, Statistically, that's definitely the case, but just in watching them. I mean, it's one of the few teams that really has a lockdown defense. Um, And to be honest, Miami has not been able to lock down Indiana regularly over the last two well, years. So. today,
1: too, was pretty bad on defense.
0: Yeah, he's struggled all season uh, defensively for him, by his standards. He struggled all season. Um, and he took he flack took for that. He said, you know, himself included, everybody was just uh, kind of a step behind. The Pacers had open shots from everywhere. Not a great three-point shooting team, but really were sinking every shot they had today. So this was one of those days, it just seemed like every time Miami would kind of make one of those patented Miami runs um the Pacers will come down and hit a three on the other end they're not going to do that every game of the series but uh I am curious to see whether Miami can step it up a notch defensively like what he's just saying from them
1: well open threes and uh Dwayne Wade are are pretty much oil and water at this point I I think judging from today and he scores 27 points Chris on 12-18 shooting he plays 39 minutes we saw last year he kind of Pulled a Manu Ginobili in 2013. You know they both did the same thing. They kind of disappeared uh, for stretches. And Wade had you know the knee, and he still has the knee problems. But do you think he can sustain a, a 20 to 25 point per game average through these next whatever six games, and then uh, carry some momentum
0: into the finals? Can he
1: be there for the Heat every game?
0: Well, just from the sounds of it. It sounds as if his knee is better than it was last season. Um, You know, they were talking about that on the telecast today. Um, And the Heat have had pretty decent rest throughout these playoffs. Um, I don't think he's going to get that in this series and in the next series. So I'm I'm curious now, if the Heat make the finals, um, what that will be like. Because I I get the impression that this series is really going to test him again. Uh, and you look at last year, that's exactly what happened last season is that he really struggled through those first, uh, two games of the finals because they went seven with Miami, with Indiana. And then I think it took him until what was a game four where he had some crazy like 32.6 six-steal performance and was the first player since like Isaiah Thomas or something like that to have that many points and that many steals in a finals game. So I think that that will really hinder them if if they do end up going six or seven, like you said, and they get a Spurs team to play against, a team that really challenges their depth, of which Miami really doesn't have much, um, I think that that would be um, a really bad scenario, just because I think LeBron has already kind of put this team on his back at times. Uh, He already seemed to have less in the tank from a defensive standpoint. um, Because, let's be honest, LeBron was not the one really sitting out games to prepare for the stretch. Wade was. So, um, I'm curious to see how it goes over um, you know, I, I think the team just seems really lethargic defensively compared to prior years. Um, they've got some some older guys out there that are ready to hang it up. To be honest, Shane Battier is, is, is like that. Uh, Ray Allen is getting close to that. So when you got those kinds of guys on the perimeter, um, it's hard if you're LeBron to try to make up for all that. It's hard for Boss to try to make up for all that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts them if they make it to the next round.
1: Yeah, Shane Batty is starting to look pretty lame, as uh, rap artist J. Cole once said uh, wisely. Now, Chris, um, you know, we, we talk about all, all this rest, and the Knicks are getting a, quite a bit of rest right now. J.R. Smith is playing golf. Uh, I just try to make that transition as easily as possible. We get the news this week that Steve Kerr is now going to coach the Warriors. It was a huge surprise to everyone. But was it a surprise to you? I mean, do you think there was a pretty clear reason? There were reports that, you know, Marv Albert uh, had told him that the Knicks was just, it was just kind of like a black hole of sorrow, uh, to kind of put it gently. I mean, d- do you think that that's the real reason? Or does he look at Steph Curry and say, man, this is where I want to be? This is a team that was in the playoffs. Why, why did he spurn the Knicks?
0: Well, you know, that last part that you just brought up, Steph Curry, and I'll I'll take it a step further and say Clay Thompson and and those guys, too, Andre Iguodala. I I kind of in my head thought a couple weeks ago, you know, Curry, it seems like there are a lot more reasons to go to Golden State than there are for him to come to the Knicks. Like we all knew about Phil, but it, it struck me as odd for a while that, you know, at least on and hearing you know people on background kind of tell me and other folks about this that like one of the greatest shooters in in nba history would would pass up an opportunity to coach perhaps the best shooting backcourt in nba history it just seemed really odd to me that someone wouldn't want to coach that and and maybe all along he did want to coach it but was just kind of feeling the the pull of, of trying to coach a team that phil jackson is an executive for and so i think in the end, what you saw is that the, the other side played out more and uh, talked to him a little bit more. I mean, it's a better situation. There's no question about that. Um, Nick fans will reference, you know, 2015 and the free agency that they'll be able to tap into with all the cap money and stuff. And maybe Carmelo comes back, maybe he doesn't. Uh, either way, they should be in a decent situation after this season. But Steve Curtis from the West Coast, uh, that was kind of the thing that seemed like the trump card all along, was that he... Might just want to stay out west, he has a daughter that's in college that you know that he is close with um you know, and he's lived on the West Coast for most of his life that in his playing career um so that that stuff all made sense, and you know it's a team that can compete right away uh might not allow for a whole lot of learning on the job, but I don't think there would have been a lot of time for that in New York anyway, just because it's new york so i I understand the decision I think maybe the reason it's kind of been perceived the way it was you know people blame the media for pumping them up i mean i think that part of that i tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago too i think phil jackson is very responsible for that too because the knicks never made it you know privately they never really made secret of the fact that he was their one and only candidate for this job and that they really had to kind of reshuffle the deck once uh once it became known that he was going to go elsewhere so um I am a little bit surprised, was a little bit surprised. You know, I I thought, especially after um, the Warriors made it sound as if they're going to go in a different direction, I think it's about as surprising that Kerr took the Warriors' job as it was that Sam Van Gundy passed up an opportunity to coach the Warriors to go to Detroit. So, you know, I would have put it maybe like 85-15 that that he was coming to the Knicks after after he had decided the first time that the Warriors weren't going to be the place to go.
1: All right, so one more before I get you out of here. You look at the names that are thrown around. Besides Mark Jackson, who there a report came out today? It's you know it's still possible that he could coach the Knicks, even though he just signed that I think three year deal with ESPN. It's a multi year deal. Should fans be scared or kind of worried about the names that have been thrown out there, like Luke Walton, like Derek Fisher? Because you think about Derek Fisher and. He's a great leader. You see a lot of you know, what you kind of saw in Jason Kidd with him. But Derek Fisher wasn't as good as Jason Kidd. I mean, I don't know if that really translates to coaching success, but they were different players. And, I mean, should they be scared?
0: Um, I'll go ahead and say yes, they should be a little bit. A little bit uneasy. Um, I don't think it's time for full-out panic. I mean, um, you brought Phil on board you know, and, and a day or two after he was brought on board, there was already speculation of who he was gonna bring in as a coach. I think many people already assumed that it was gonna be someone triangle related because of just his background and, and everyone knows how tied to the triangle he is. Um, you know, I'll counter part of what you said there though. Um well before I even get to that, Mark Jackson, I I, I don't think that's gonna happen. I've said that all along. Uh people seem to be most uh most interested in him but there's not good reason for that. I mean, he he, he used to be a Nick. He's from New York, uh, played college ball in New York. So I understand that, but that at the end of the day, that's really not a good reason. I mean, the fact that he can relate with New Yorkers might be great for the fans, but if that's not putting you closer to winning a championship, I don't understand that. And I'm a little shocked at like how many people want that just for that reason. It seems like a really bad, set of rationale for that sort of thing. So, um, I also don't think that will happen. I, I tweeted about that, too, the other day. That it, It's pretty telling when less than a week after you get fired from a job in very, very public fashion, it was like the biggest sports story that day, um, that you are agreeing to a multi-year contract with ESPN to do telecasting work. That, that you, you don't normally take a step like that. I, I know he can obviously get out of that contract if he needs to to take another job, but if that was the case, that he was talking to other teams and that there was like a clear interest from other teams at that moment, don't you think he probably would have just waited to agree to a contract as opposed to just jumping right into one? Um, It it makes it very clear that the Knicks had no interest in really going in that route, uh, going that route with him and neither did any other teams. And so, you know, maybe it's just a case of them needing to take a year off. But uh, the fact that he wasn't getting any contact from anyone, which is something that he apparently told reporters today, I think is really telling. But to your point about uh, Derek Fisher, I actually think that he could make for a good coach, a decent coach at least. And um, I, I wrote in one of my stories that he kind of, in my opinion, I, would, I think he used the odds on favor to get the job if he wants it uh, because I think he's the most similar to Kirk. Not a star player, but a very important role player to a couple of teams that he played on, a uh, couple championship teams he played on under Phil. It was kind of like this undersized guard uh, that, that fit that system when normally – you think about it and it's normally the bigger guards that you know about playing in the triangle system. So someone that kind of made it work despite not being the prototypical player that you saw in those systems Um, played alongside a great player, just like uh, just like Steve Kerr did and Michael Jordan with uh, Kobe Bryant and someone that is respected and just kind of for standing up for himself and having toughness. And, you know, Kerr did that obviously too, with Michael Jordan. So, I I think it would make sense as someone that's young, as someone that's inexperienced, as someone that knows the triangle very well and was a point guard, kind of shooting guard type player um, for general. And I I think that's what Bill would want, ideally. He wants someone that's young that he can kind of impress his, his own ideas upon and kind of just have a meeting of the minds with. And I think that's what he would prefer. Um, it would be kind of a sexier name. People can relate with that fans, know who this person is. Uh, It's not someone, you know, the the other thing is that most people in the Triangle system that have gone on to be a head coach have had really poor track records, you know, as head coaches uh, between Jim Clemens and uh, Bill Cartwright obviously didn't do very well with the Bulls. Kurt Rambis did awful. Um, Minnesota, some of those places. So I think, there are very few people that are kind of unblemished already in terms of their records with the triangle. So it would be better to get someone that's young and fresh and doesn't already have like kind of a negative attachment to their name. Um, Brian Shaw, I think you could add to that list as well if he actually has any interest in the job. But um, Derek Fisher is one of the few guys that has like a really good track record that there aren't any negatives attached to already. So if he wants the job, I would think that he makes a lot of sense because he fits the same Kerr mold. You know, he hasn't taken years out and years off since, um, you know, he's finished playing because he's still playing on my curve. But um, I think he would make the most sense if that's kind of the type of person they want to go out and get. It
1: sounds like that's your your best guess at this point. Is that that's fair to say?
0: Yeah, yeah. And no, I I think I mean they obviously need to talk to other people between now and when Oklahoma City gets eliminated or when the finals or whatever they're gonna do. But um but that's kind of what I've heard from, from people that um have any tie to Phil uh and what they expect. They still expect him to go in that direction, to kind of go after someone that is younger, that he knows that has triangle experience of some sort. Um, you know, will he talk to people that don't have really close ties to that and don't have really close ties to him probably um that's you know that that would be a fair assumption but just like you saw a good candidate in mark jackson you know someone that otherwise would have been maybe a good candidate mark jackson not get talked to and just like you, you don't really hear much traction with the jeff van gundy stuff even though jeff van gundy is coming out and saying he would talk to phil if phil wanted to entertain that i think if you're avoiding people like that and you're not reaching out to folks like that, it's a pretty good assumption that Bill wants to talk to people that he either knows or that have triangle background of some sort. So I, I think the furthest in that direction that he might go is maybe someone that he doesn't know, but that has triangle background. And, you know, maybe like a Fred Hoyberg or something. There's the one other name that I've heard come up from some of the people I've talked with. Um, you know, Iowa State coach that does know some triangle stuff just because he played with the Bulls right after Phil left Chicago and played for Tim Floyd. But um that might be you know, that might be the extent to what he seriously entertained in terms of coaching candidates. People that maybe didn't play for him but have fast triangle experience from somewhere else. And so that's what I would expect. i still expect him to go with someone triangle related. But um you know, Phil is still for a reason, he might do something that kind of um jumps out of left field at all of us. So we'll we'll have to see what he does. That
1: was a whole lot of basketball talk with Chris Herring from the Wall Street Journal. i had Herring WSJ as he referenced several of his tweets that are very good uh, on twitter.com. So you should definitely go follow him. I I really owe you one. That was that that was an incredible amount of content that we snuck in to like not really sneak it in. It was it was pretty long, but thank you man. I, I was it was good.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me
1: on. So great stuff from Chris, as usual. And again, at HerringWSJ on Twitter, go check him out. I think we're going to be doing uh, a few more shows per week, or maybe just one more show per week or something like that. We'll let you know uh, at WFEV Sports, at Kenny Ducey, at MattyRose16, one of us. Uh, I think at some point we'll probably let you know, but thanks again to Chris. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you soon, and enjoy the conference finals.